Hi everyone. Welcome to another episode of NHASCD Spotlight, a podcast. It's here we discuss educational topics in order to be a catalyst for conversation and action to ensure excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. This is Jan Yost, the Executive Director of NHASCD and your host for this episode. Last week, Steve LaBelle, the NHASCD President-elect, and I were honored to be invited to join Matthew Drewett Card, the main ASCD president, and Dr. Lee Alley, the main ASCD executive director, to talk about tips for remote learning. So sit back and listen, and hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Maine ASCD, the podcast, the podcast where we talk about the whole child and its tenets of healthy, safe, engaged, supported, and challenged. As always, with me is Matt Drewett Card, our president at Maine ASCD. I am your hi, Matt. I'm your host today, (laughs) Lee Alley, the executive director of Maine ASCD, and we're so honored today to have Jan Yost the executive director of New Hampshire ASCD, and Steve LaBelle, the president-elect of New Hampshire ASCD, joining us. And we're so excited. Hi, folks. We'd like to- Hello, hello. Hi, we'd like to toss it over to you so you can tell us a little bit about who you are. I know our listeners will be really excited to be hearing from you directly. We talk about how excited we are to connect with your affiliate and affiliates across the Northeast. So take it away. Awesome. Ladies first, Jan, go for it. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you again for having us. Um, This is such an honor and pleasure to do this podcast with you. Um, As you said, I'm Jan Yossi, Executive Director of NHACD. I've been for about the last three and a half years. Don't quote me on that number. Um, Prior to being Executive Director, I was a principal of a school on the seacoast. Um, and before that, I was a high school math teacher. So about half and half, half in the classroom, half administration. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a joy to work with the affiliates of ACD, especially Maine. Um, I feel like we have a really close relationship. So again, thanks. Steve? Oh, hi. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me and Jan to, to come on. My name is Steve LaBelle. I am the New Hampshire ASCD president-elect. Um, in my real-world job, I am a 7-8 social studies teacher. Um, thank you to COVID. I was the instructional <laughs> coach uh, for the last three years at the middle school level. And prior to that, I was an elementary teacher for about 15 years or so. Um, but because of COVID, they reassigned some of our roles for the year. So it's fun to be back in the classroom again um, and diving into a curriculum that I have never really touched. And so this is great. So COVID changed things? I mean, not too much. It's not, it's not that different than you. No, I, I, mean, I thought a little little thing here or there. I didn't think it was going to make a completely systemic shifts. Or oh wait, no, it's uprooted everything, hasn't it? Oh yes. yeah. Jan and I were connecting last week and um, talking about the podcast that you folks had wanted to launch and talking about the platform we use and those sorts of things. And I said, hey, while I have you here, wouldn't you folks like to join us for a podcast? And um, when we were talking, Steve, Jan had shared that, you know, you've got this new role. You've been thinking a lot about best practice for distance learning. I know that Matt and I are in the same uh, position. He and I both coach teachers um, in Mm -hmm. public schools. And we've been thinking about that a lot. And she just shared that you had sort of Um, developed or had been um, sharing these kind of six best practices and you know Matt and I have some things to share and I'm sure Jan too and it just seemed like such an organic conversation you know that we could have and so we'd like to just kind of kick it over to you Steve if you want to start talking us through those and everyone can jump in and share some of the things they're noticing and um, you know lessons from the field um, if you want to share some of those talking points. Yeah, I, w- I would love to share that. Um, this, the whole six practices that I came up with came about in a conversation that I had with um, some colleagues at the uh, higher ed level. So really for pre-service teachers, um, I was invited by Emporia State University and Plymouth State University to talk to them, um, talk to their pre-service teachers about what does good remote teaching look like? 
So I know for our world, it's been like a fire hydrant has been opened into our faces and we're trying to swallow it, but we're really drowning at the same time. So I tried to put it in a, a small enough chunks for them to maybe grapple with and kind of play around with in their heads. So the six key ideas for me is connection, platform, expectations, instructional models, curriculum, and assessment products. And so what a lot of the pre-service teachers are like, where do I begin? I don't even know where to start. And I, I explained to them the connection, number one priority. You cannot teach a child. You cannot have a rigorous conversation and jam by all means, you were part of those conversations too. So jump in. Um, you can't really um, dive into it until you have a good relationship with students. So we talked about what, what does making connections look like? And we started with them at first and they're talking about how they use Snapchat and TikTok and um, Zooming with their families and virtual watch parties. So then I finally flipped it on them and said, well, what about kids? How are you going to connect with kids? How are you going to use that? And all of a sudden they're like, well, we can't use Snapchat with them. And I'm like, no, you really can't. So <laughs> you have to think about avenues to do that. And some ideas we came up with was one I shared with them was I made my own personal note cards and I handwrite these notes for them to get in the mail. Um, and kids really like that a lot, playing games with them, um, making challenges. So I have a really big hockey player group, actually, which I was really surprised on. And um, I know in, in Maine, it might be different, but down here is Bruins country for us. Bruins country here too, yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm a Habs fan. I'm a big Canadian yeah. fan. So, <laughs> so, so to make connections, we, we joked and we had a bit of a snowstorm. So I said, go make a, a snowman outside and put, make it a Habs player or a Bruins player. And I want you to tackle them. And I want you to film it and we'll, we'll have fun with that, you know, and, and it's stuff like that, that really appreciates, uh, makes students laugh. And I have one student who's your kind of stereotypical goth kind of girl, but I finally cracked her nut and she's laughing a lot. And I, we make it a thing. It's like my mission in life is to make her laugh. I love so, that. Again, it's not about the learning yet. It's all about who are you? Where are you at right now? Because this is overwhelming. Um, well the connection piece is such an important piece for the where to begin. And I, before we started recording and we were just sort of touching base and the hellos and all of that, Matt and I were both sharing that we're both emergency distance learning right now with our districts. My own children are in that place in my community. And then one of the communities that is one of my primary contracts um, for the year is in the same place. And there's a whole new norming that needs to happen around how do we connect in these virtual spaces. And, you know, it's not just for the learners, it's for their families as well. And so just coming together in the space and getting comfortable, I think is such an important part of the journey. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you're emphasizing that, Steve, because I think that teachers have to give themselves some grace to get comfortable. And obviously we're extending that to our learners, but it's like the, the feeling my teachers that I coach are, are all having is sort of like this, hurry up. It's like they're forgetting that go slow to go fast. They feel like they don't want to lose too much time. There's that overwhelm. And so just permission to breathe and get comfortable is so important. Yeah. I, I agree with you. In, in our district, um, students and teachers actually have the choice. So you can decide whether or not if you're going to be in person or remote. And the district will accommodate anyone that wants to do that. However, what's really tough is those students who become exposed or the, or the staff members that become exposed to, to COVID and all of a sudden they're thrusted in, in a remote land and that they come to me and they're only with me for two weeks and then go back out. So there's these relationships that you really have to develop not only with the students, but with your colleagues. I know as a social studies department, we have decided right from the get-go, no matter what, we're lockstep. Because if students are gonna be coming in and out of us very frequently, then we wanna make that transition as simple for them and for us as possible. So we absolutely. try to put it in that perspective for them too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's I really love the fact that, you, that again, bringing up connection, it's something that so many of us who have been seeing this from, from, the, from the beginning of all this have said, you're not going to be able to get to the academics 
unless you are able to build a strong teacher-student relationship and you can't build that relationship unless you connect. What I'm looking at these practices and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, it's a fantastic place to start. I would also then say, using that quote from Winston Churchill of never let a good crisis go to waste, I truly hope that when we come out of this, that number one practice remains. Because again, the academics can't come if the space isn't safe, if the space isn't welcoming, if there's no connection there between teacher, student, teacher, family, and it's just this layer, layer upon layer of animosity and fear and unwelcomeness, the academics still aren't going to come. Mm -hmm. So it's really not necessarily that what's different now is just the how. Right. It's how do we do it? And that's what's so challenging for so many of us. We just don't know how, or we live in places where people might not actually have any kind of connection ability and they might not have that connectivity. So how do we then connect to them when we used to rely on face-to-face, -face, but we can't do that. We still have to connect. And I think that if more, more schools, teachers um, really focused on that, then their engagement would be up, their attendance, quote unquote, would be up, their academics would be up, et cetera. And you're 100% right with the face-to-face. -face. What I found really surprising being in the remote world is how much teachers use nonverbal connection in the classroom. Mm. There are so many subtle things like thumbs up or just like a, a wink or something like that. Yeah. Now you look like a creeper because they, they, every kid thinks you're, you're looking at them <laughs> and that's not the goal. Um, but it, it's really kind of using your tools. And we talked about how using the chat, send a private chat real quick or um, send an email real fast or something like that. Go jump into a breakout. I, that's the one thing that surprised me a lot was how much I use nonverbal. Mm. Well, I, all these points are so wonderful. And I think it's, it underscores so many of the things we talk about frequently on this podcast. It's not just, it's not the Maslow before you bloom because that's a false dichotomy, but it's the Maslow and bloom concurrently. I love to say who is the paramount question of education. I really believe it is. And I love what you shared, Steve, about, you know, cracking that nut on that girl that you hadn't been able to reach and suddenly you've done it. I mean, we have to just keep who at the center of it all. And remembering that is such a critical place to begin, whether you're, you know, person to person or not. When my daughter first went remote, she said, I didn't realize how much I missed just putting my hand on my friend's shoulders. You know, we've got to find a way to be able to put our hands on each other's shoulders. And so I love what you said, go tackle the snowman, those kinds of things. I just, it's important, the joy. Oh, sorry. you're 100% right. And you have to teach how to make connections for kids, right? So with Veterans Day, we have a staff member who's a, um, and she'll kill me if I don't get it right, uh, Air Force veteran. Um, and I made my advisory email her. I'm like, that's how you stay connected. Send an email saying, thank you so much for your service. And they're like, really? But I don't really know her. I'm like, but you will, because we're going to go back to this. And this right. is how we start developing it. Yeah, modeling the connections. I love that. Yeah. So where do we go from there, Steve? What's talking point two? What's yeah, so then we start talking about like the platform and let's, and let's be real. What type of a cluster is this platform business? Depending on the district, the building, the state, where you, what you can be using, it is, it is a nightmare. Um, and depending, I know uh, Maine does a lot with competency and more performance-based type, type mm -hmm. learning in the state of New Hampshire. It works, some places are there, some places are not yet. And the grading practices are so different that Google Classroom does not translate well for those mm -hmm. because with grading, Google Classroom still finds the average. Yeah. But we know in good teaching, especially from Gusky, that's not how you truly demonstrate or show what students know. Mm -hmm. So I feel oh, preach or preach, right? No, yeah, preach. No, I'm 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 worshiping oh. at that altar, man. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We're all. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, we're with you on that. You know, it's, it, you have to marry what you really believe deeply with this new platform that maybe isn't as evolved and it's thinking about how do you, how do you measure what's demonstrated as we are? Yeah, I know a lot of folks who are kind of keeping, you know, separate systems because it's not a one and done. It's not a one shot. And, that, and that's really confusing for, for parents too. So it's time for our tech 
industries to really start saying, whoa, we are definitely not, we're still old school. Yeah, we have progressive modes, progressive mm-hmm. tools, but you're still not where we are in, in showing student learning. So I feel like it, it opens a whole can of worms as far as what platforms, but I think what's really important, and we talked about this um, with our with the uh, pre-service teachers, is that you have to make it consistent. If you're going to stick mm-hmm. with Google Classroom, make a Google Classroom. If you're going to do Seesaw, do Seesaw or Canva or whichever platform it is. Right. But you also have to think about your tools too, right? Because let's face it, we're in the generation where they're on an iPhone and they have a game for 30 minutes and then they're done. It's already deleted off of their, off their phones. Um, so we also have to think about what tools we're using for our students and not overuse them or sensationalize them. Like I, I like Kahoot. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's a place for Kahoot, but I have one student who sobs when we play Kahoot because he's too competitive. He, he knows it but he wants to beat the other kids. That's a yeah. battle I'm not willing to face. Yeah. So it's, it's about finding the right tools for your kids and really making yourself more informed and learning about what's available. Absolutely. Your point about consistency is so, is, is so spot on. When we went out back in March, um, you know, it was great to see a lot of these tech companies just started to say, hey, we're gonna put our things for free we're going to let you just, just use it, just use it. And that was fantastic. By mid-April to May, I'm a, I'm a curriculum director, so I, I, my role is to kind of get as many resources to my, my folks as I possibly can, whenever I can. It's one of my roles. And at, at the end, that, by, by, at that point, they were like, please stop. It's just too many. We've been over flooded, which is a good problem to have. But at the same point, how do you negotiate? How do you navigate yourself in this, this swamp of just all this, some is, some is good, some is bad. We got, we got one, one platform, I won't say it here, that we would only, per, only use because it was free. I will not pay for it, but it was free. Okay, you can go ahead and we'll, we'll use this here for you now because the rest of it's well, well, trash. Um, but, but there, but there, but, negotiating the platform of how to do it. One of the things we decided to do um, for this coming year for the, in the fall in my district was we said, we're gonna have a single entry point for all of our students, for all of our families. Yeah. If you use Google Classroom as a teacher, great. If you use Seesaw, great. If you use all these other places, great. But we're not gonna have this, this teacher has this entry point, this teacher has this link. So if a parent has four different kids in the district, they don't know where the heck to go. So everyone has one entry point and then you can put your individual kids links from there and then follow the threads from that point. So that yeah, platform does matter. We, I called it the amuse-bouche in the culinary world. You call that one good taste and you have this amuse-bouche of all these different flavors. But what's happened too in the state of New Hampshire in some districts, all of a sudden privacy becomes a big issue. And mm-hmm. then now you've, you've loved this app, this model, can't use it anymore, sorry. The state won't allow it. It releases student privacy pieces. You can yeah. use this part, but not all of that part. And it, it's becoming not fair to, to teachers too at one point, at some yeah. point. That's a challenge and a concern. I actually was thinking about that myself the other day. It's like, you know, you also have all of the kind of pedagogical concerns. And on top of that, this layer of, are we, are we safe? We're, we're asking our students to join us in ways that they really are, you know, in some ways they have no say over and the families sometimes are not well enough informed to opt in or out or know the questions to ask. That alone as a gatekeeper is a huge responsibility. And then at, you know, the university level too, it was a question I had for Jan a moment ago, Steve, I thought of it when you were talking, just those parallels between the, the, the experiences of our pre-service teachers at universities having to select tools in their student teaching. I'm overseeing a few right now and trying to figure out what are best practices, what are realistic expectations for these, especially the primary learners. How much time is too much time online? How do we connect with them online? Those sorts of things. Jen, you're actually, am I right that your headquarters, if you will, for NHASCD is on a campus? Is that right? I thought I remember. Um, the campus is my home. 
the campus is your home. Yes. Yes. <laughs> What's happening and changes there. Are they are the learners on campus full time? Are they learning remotely? I think we're getting ready to make the leap to remote learning here pretty quickly in the University of Maine system. It's a real mix here in New Hampshire. Um, there is one university where we have a student chapter. They are fully remote and until June. Mm -hmm. So for the entire year, you have others that they're on campus. Um, so it's a real mix here. Yeah. My learners I think are leaving campus and, and not coming back after Thanksgiving. And then my student teachers, some of them are fully remote with their learners. Some of them are like the situation Matt and I are facing emergency remote right now. But again, platform for them, finding ways to connect to them. I was already teaching online in the program, but finding new ways to reach them, field experiences, trying to actually teach a methods course where there has to be some observation component. That's been a challenge. So platform, yes. And, you know, making sure people are up to speed and able to use the platform successfully. I think you know, Steve, your point is is really well made. It's sort of all these various layers mm -hmm. and having to do the best we can. And of course we had the summer for whatever that actually meant to try to get ready for this second wave. Um, but I do think it's sometimes a little bit of a cart before the horse kind of a thing. I, I'm not sure that we're really fully off and running still, even if it's better, but it's a learning curve, there's no doubt. Yeah, I 100% agree. And notice how we haven't even talked curriculum yet. Right. It's really developing the infrastructure in order for learning to actually occur. Right. You know, and then that the, we had CARES money come out in Maine that went to so many of our districts and all of the decisions about what to do with that to best reach our learners. And do we get devices? Do we get access to learners through Wi-Fi? Do we build some infrastructure so that going forward we can tackle this a little bit better? It's just all of these, it is the drinking from the fire hose, which we love to do in Maine, but not under these circumstances, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. Steve made, I think, some really good suggestions for this pre-service educators um, that you may want to speak about, Steve. And I'm talking about like bec becoming really well-versed in a variety of platforms, becoming certified in certain platforms. So I don't, for those who are out um, in the world right now and looking at becoming a teacher next year, getting their own classroom, possibly remote. Right. Right, no, you're, we talked about getting um, Google certified. That's a great professional development opportunity. You can use those hours. Um, right. You can also um, become a Seesaw ambassador. So I think it can only beef up your resume a little bit more if you become experts or at least very knowledgeable in those areas. No, it's a great point. Find those uh, some of those bigger um, platforms, those bigger tools that other places are using. And most of those tools will have some kind of certification of, of educator to go along with it. Um, did the exact same thing for our staff over the course of the summer. We said uh, we were able to re-siphon some money from our um, summer school program because we couldn't have or something. I don't know how it all went, but said here, we're able to provide you some summer, some professional learning hours. Here's what we recommend, Google certified, Flipgrid certified, Newzella certified, these other areas that, these are the tools that you will likely need to know and or use and will be helpful for you. Get to know them now, whether you use them or not, whatever, if you need to, you have them. Right. right. Well, and you know, it's a point so well made. And I think we're ahead of the learning curve, obviously as educators. You know, I think for, for me, I like to think I'm pretty in touch as a Xennial. It might not have been a tech native, but I'm highly tech intuitive. And, you know, our learners, especially the folks that I deal with at UMA are highly tech intuitive themselves. But even beyond just the getting to know the platform stuff, you've got that whole other layer of not confusing the technology for the learning experience. And I think that that can be daunting too. It's the Okay, so sometimes we feel like we're maybe in a tech for tech sake situation because we're remote, but making sure we're using those tools really purposefully to, to advance the learning objective more than just using them because they're handy. And I think that there hasn't been enough time to really be thinking about, in some instances, those decisions as well. I'd like to think out the other side of this craziness. You know, there will be some sort of a 
you know, repository or something where we can really share what we learned in terms of when is this tool right for this particular, you know, learning experience? What can we maximize through this tool? Because certainly some lend better than others and you don't know until you know, you know? Right. And, and the um, research geek in me is excited because you know there's studies going on right now. And I, it, it's going to come out very uh, within the next year or two. And it's going to be like, yes, finally, prove I was right. Or, oh, I was really wrong. Oh, but, I was so um, wrong. Right, right. But that's the fun thing, right? If we're wrong, <laughs> we're like, ooh, yeah, we really missed that one a lot. But like, sorry. Oh. <laughs> right, sorry. Sorry, <laughs> everybody. Class, you're like, you see your kids in like five years and be like, oh, I really messed you guys up. Are you okay? Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, it, it's an unfortunate experiment in some ways, but I'm like you, Steve, I'm excited about the possibilities. I'm excited about what we will learn. And you folks know that we have our Journal of Maine Education and 2020 was going to be kind of a look back for us. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to realistically put out a journal this year with everything happening. I think the people that want to be writing don't have the time, but I'm excited for that edition because I just think there are going to be lessons learned. It's exciting to think about giving platform to that. You know, I, I, I think we do stand to learn a wealth about best practices for teaching and learning. It's like we talk about these I get a kick out of it when people still talk about 21st century tools or, you know, it's like, been here for quite a while, folks. There are adults. We're a fifth of the way through the 21st century. <laughs> so I can't wait to see what we learned about the 21st century tools now that we're 20 years in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now we can just call them COVID tools. These are the COVID right. tools that are adapted. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the, what's the third tip, Steve? Yeah. So again, not even in curriculum quite yet. We're talking about expectations. So mm -hmm. talking to students about what does it mean to be a remote learner? We were thrusted into this world overnight in March. So we never really had or helped students kind of create this executive functioning skills in developing a proper space. How do you organize yourself um, re with remote um, let's throw out asynchronous and synchronous. Like I, I'm ready for that word to be gone, those words to be gone. Um, it's ridiculous. And having students develop that and what does, how much time is appropriate, but look at your students, create norms. What does it look like? Do you keep a notebook? Do you keep a digital notebook? Talk about the pros and cons for either one. Um, and then also think about how do you have a discussion on the computer? It's not like, what up, bro? Um, that you're not you're not texting. It's it's a academic conversation. So you have to your language changes a little bit. Um, and we had we we've been modeling that a little bit. Um, how do you send an email? Like it's not legit. Like um, um, WTH is with DL. Like we don't need you don't need to do that. You need to actually put a full blown sentence because I'm not your BFF waiting for your next snap. I'm waiting. I want to hear an academic response or a question that you might have. So it's really about how do you engage them in academic conversation? Um, and that can even go down to kindergarten, right? So for them, it might be like, look at my puppy. And you're trying to talk about math. Um, right. Or actually with my kids, it's been like, look at my chicken. I have a chicken. Like, <laughs> let's, let's, but yeah. so just talking about it, avenues in order to, to have those conversations. So really, that's all it is in setting up norms with your, your students. And, it, and I, one norm that I have in my class, that I think is really important, is that if you're in a breakout room, do the work first, then be silly after. And yeah. I'll give you that space to be silly. Because um, yeah, you're, you chose to be remote, you might not get to see your friends. Um, so yeah, I will give you more opportunities to choose the people you're with but I, I want you to be silly. I want you to have conversations. Um, I'm not gonna go too much detail on this, but I did jump into a, a conversation where a student was sharing her doctor's appointment with her friend um, and just saying like what was wrong with her. And I thought that was like really sweet. And I said, I, I'm really glad you, you're, you're comfortable in sharing that. Um, so they are looking and, and missing and needing those opportunities. So yeah. while it's, relatively simple. Um, that's really all I think about when I think about these expectations. 
Well, I love the points about connection and choice that I heard you make because, you know, the, the being present and connecting is so important, but it's, it's right. The, when you first started introducing this tip, you kind of were talking about how one size doesn't necessarily fit all. I think about my own son who's 16 and a sophomore and on the spectrum that Google Classroom platform with all of its emails and alerts and its stream and, you know, it's not necessarily the way that his brain is craving to learn and he has, you know, not really a good framework for what it means to learn in that space like he does for what it means to learn at school where he's totally mainstream, highly successful and honor students. So I'm glad to hear you say, you know, we have to be considering fit because what do we do for those learners for whom you know, this really isn't a wonderful fit for so many more reasons than just the technology is not familiar. Those are really important considerations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I also love the fact that what we're, we're talking about now is also something that um, a lot of uh, technology integrators and whatnot have been screaming from the rooftops at for years, which is digital citizenship. We have no, we have, we have, there's been no more obvious time to intentionally teach and make room for digital citizenship than there has been in the last eight to, eight to 10 months. And I've seen so many schools wondering things like, well, we need to change, we, we grade our academics here, but we also grade our habits of work over here. Well, we need to change like our habits of work to be more in terms of digital citizenship, of which I'm like, yes, fantastic. Let's do that. Let's talk about what it means to be a digital citizen because this is what these kids are growing in because you know it's a 21st century skill. Well, that's a really valid point. And going back to, to Lee's comment about being a Xennial. So look at our staff members, right? We have so many different generations. Some are really understanding digital citizenship and there are others that really don't truly understand what it means and perhaps could even inadvertently, innocently be sharing fake news on their own social media. Um, and how do you have those conversations? How do you educate them? So this kind of thrusts that type of conversation, that digital, digital citizenship idea, right, right to the forefront again. Well, and I think it comes back to the earlier piece you were talking about, Steve, about the relationship building, the modeling of the communication and those sorts of things. One of the one of the aspects of this that I've been really sort of fascinated by and musing about in my own experience with my children remote learning these last few months has been in some ways we're co-opting tools that they feel belong to them in a really intuitive, organic way. You know, they, they might not have been of the generation that developed them, but they were born being part of those tools. And I actually said to my daughter something the other day when she was using Snapchat, when you mentioned snapping and, you know, the text speak and whatever, I kind of smiled because she was snapping someone and the snap was her shoulder, you know, her shoulder. And I said, well, why, what did you respond back did you say something something to, to in response to a snap she had gotten and she said no that would be weird I said believe it or not in my generation people didn't snap pictures of their curtain and their hair and their shoulder for three weeks before having a conversation you know but it's like how do you find the entry point to have the citizenship is conversation conversation means dialogue dialogue looks like this you know it's for in some ways, we need to reintroduce them to the art of conversation. And, you know, being part of that in a digital space means something slightly different than it does in, in other spaces. It's fascinating to mm -hmm. me. It is, it's a whole foreign language, right? Because you have these emojis, which is its own language in of itself. You have images, which could be its own language. So technically our, our children are bilingual in ways that we never would have considered. Well, and that Bitmoji language, if you will, is so nuanced. There are so many denotations and connotations to an emoji. You know, it's just, it's fascinating. They have a rich life for communication. We, and in some ways, maybe richer. I mean, I've certainly drew winky faces on papers and, you know, those kinds of things, but we can harness their ability to communicate in really nuanced ways, but we have to help them to be those, you know, code switchers. We have to help them to do exactly what you said, understand when you bring a certain, you know, aspect of your communication life alive, you know, tech speak isn't what we're going to do right now in turning in our assignment, but yeah. 
even with memes. So once we were having our Veterans Day presentation done via webinar style, and my student said, he posted sponsored by, I like your cut, G. And in my head, I'm like, oh, okay. In TikTok world, there could be sexual connotation to this. And in his world, it's not. So you really have to educate the kiddos and really thinking about the area and the arena you're speaking. And if you're gonna speak another language, really make sure it's interpreted appropriately. Um, I didn't let him know that it's a sexual connotation. I didn't wanna open that up on him, but I just said there's multiple meanings to that. So you just wanna be careful of your audience. Um, And he was really thankful by it. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Jan, I, Steve made me think of this when he mentioned webinars. You folks have been so successful in years past with your conference model. I know that. And the, the last couple of years, you've really made a shift to some online offerings. I think you had to shift some in-person conferences to webinars yourselves, right? How are you finding that to be working out for reaching your adult learners? Um, I wish I could say it was a little more successful that we reached out to more people than we did. I just think right now the adult learner, um, our educators are Zoomed out, webinared out. Um, They're tired of sitting in front of a screen. So our attendance rate has been down. But for those that we have had and for those who have attended, Um, They're very appreciative. Um, I think we've had some outstanding um, topics. Our first one, which was very successful, was um, SEL. And we originally had, and and this is going to sound contradictory to what I just said, but we originally had 200 sign up. I could only take 100, but by the end, 20 actually went through the series. But yeah, I I think people are just tired. Yeah, the topics you have um, are so spot on. You know, SEL is so important to what I do at the university, trauma sensitive classroom courses I've developed as well as social emotional learning courses. I think we're at in some ways an exciting time because we've been, I think at ASCD ahead of that wave in talking about the ways we need to support these learners. And I think we've, We've had a platform that helps folks to find some answers in some really difficult times about what's really important for making sure we can nurture these learners from afar. And I think you're right. We have to nurture our adult learners in the same way. I think you should coin the term zoomed out. I that's really apt. And that um, brings me to a question I'd like to kick over to Steve and Matt. What do we do for our learners who are Zoomed out? How do we maximize this time that we have with them? Because it's true, they're getting, they're getting tired from the screen. They're mm-hmm. fatigued. What do we do? I purposefully um, give options of doing assignments off screen. So giving students more of a choice um, in order to maybe take notes, or you could, if you make a poster, take a picture, for example, or maybe just make a voice recording for me. Um, I even joke with them. I said, you're starting to smell up your basements. I need you to get out of your basements, take off your gaming headphones off and, and go outside. It's raining. It's time for a shower, go outside and play. Um, and it, it's interesting to say that to, to eighth graders and seventh graders, because that concept of play is kind of foreign, right, to to students that age, but it's really something I think that's really important in this day and age to get outside. Um, I even want to say to, I even said to my my girls, I'm like, if you're starting to stress out, well, actually it could be to boys too, but it was to a girl I said this. Um, She was very into makeup. And I said, if you're so stressed out, get off the the screen. And I go, I want you to go make a, a vlog series, how to put on makeup. Teach me, how do you put on makeup? And, and have, try to think of their interests in order to make those connections outside. To hear my, my students say, hey, we went hiking in the woods and we found this cool trail. I'm like, good, you're, you're going out. That's what I want you to do. And I, I make that a big deal. I know consciously, I purposefully get them off the screen. I have them technically for two hours. Mm-hmm. They're with me for like an hour and a half, if that. Yeah. Um, I want you off go play and especially my remote kids um some people are like well i should be in directed study i'm like your directed study is go eat lunch with your family and get out of here that's what i want i think the 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 point is is completely valid and right on that it's it's 
the learning doesn't have to be, I know we're not, we don't want to use the word synchronous and asynchronous anymore, but because we're all sick and tired of those and we're zoomed out of those particular uh, uh, terminologies, but we have to be thinking in terms of designing our curriculum, if we can get it to start into that things and less about it has to be live and you in person with me happening right here and more about the task and is the task engaging and what does that word engagement really truly mean and how does it look because engagement for one kid's not going to look engaging for another kid and it's incredibly difficult it's incredibly challenging it takes a lot of time to figure it out but it's also necessary because that level of engagement an engaging task that really brings a kid in and is and is they're, they're working on it You'll use some screen time, you'll do some not screen time, but the thing that's the magic that, I've, that I'm seeing about the engaging task, it's the bridge between these conditions for learning in a remote situation, which is like you talked about before, the relationships, um, the platform, uh, clarity, et cetera. But then also you get to the best practices of the instructional side, the feedback and the reporting side. If you don't have a solid engagement, a really engaging task, you're not going to have either of those things. You're not going to be able to, the, the, the relationship is going to suffer because there's going to be like, oh, whatever, you just want me to do this, blah, I'm just bored, yeah, fine, I'll do the whatever. And if you, if, if on the other side of it's not engaging, you're just going to get either compliance, and you're not going to really get to know learning, or you're just going to get some garbage, if anything at all, because it looked like, well, why would I want to bother doing this? I'll just go work. Mm. And what I, I find that, oh, go ahead. No, that, I say, that level of engagement is, 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 is like that. I think it's that hub, but it's that real catalyst that brings everything together in terms of remote or distance learning. I love what you're both sharing because to me, it comes back to that question of who again, it's about knowing learners deeply, what drives them, what motivates them, what engages them. Steve's point to what do they need in this moment most and all of that. One exciting thing for me is that it's possible I'm seeing it for these learners to still achieve flow while they're learning online. And I wasn't seeing that last spring at all. I wasn't seeing much of it early this school year, I will say, but um, my, I saw my daughter in a state of flow the other day where she lost the track of time. Um, they work closely with island readers and writers here in Maine, and they get to connect with, you know, Caldecott winning artists. They get to connect with Newberry Medal winning um, authors, and they're writing in conjunction with, a, with an award winning author right now. And she was engaged with her online the other day in a Zoom conference. They had time to write, and she was in a state of flow. And my mom's heart and my teacher heart just lit up seeing that because that's been a little bit absent in this process, I think. And it's nice to see that coming back alive again and that we can achieve it in these kind of, you know, remote learning spaces. And it brings that question back, right? What's the purpose? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. We lost you there. Am I, am I back? Oh. Yeah, you're back. I, I was a little for a minute. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> Yeah, so what it goes back to what's the purpose? Some of these tasks that we're doing right now, I, I'm saying, why are we doing this? What's the purpose of this? Why do we want students to be doing this? And if we don't have a clear cut answer, get rid of it and let's find something else. Um, like for example, we've been, for our seventh grade curriculum, we've been learning a lot about the economy. So we completely flipped our summative around for them and they have to use economy or economic thinking in analyzing COVID. How has COVID affected their world through, econ through an economic lens? I love that. Um, so we're really hoping for them to talk about the vaccine and supply and demand, or even thinking about free and restricted trade because what if it's another country, right? That develops that vaccine before we do. Right. Right, that's fabulous. And to have and no, I was just going to say, you made another great point there too about flexibility. You know, it's that's so critical. We can't be so wed to what we have envisioned happening that we're not willing to change course. And I think as teachers, we're great at doing that anyway. But I think that again, it's that giving yourselves grace to say this isn't working. What will? Yeah. And I think that that defines a t a successful remote teacher versus a teacher that's uh, struggling remotely. 
It's not about making the remote work for what you've done. It's making what or changing what you've done to translate into remote world. Yeah, yeah, great point. I love that. I love that. So where do we go next? What's the what's the fourth tip? Yeah, so we we've talked about instructional models, and we kind of already started talking about that, right? And in, in our conversations. Um, you want to make sure your face is visible, whether the kids' faces are visible or not. And I know that is just a touchy subject even to begin with, but just having your face present is very, very important. And if you're making asynchronous videos, make it 10 minutes, no more than 10 minutes. And if you're teaching our younger little friends, then that should be no more than five minutes. It needs to be quick to the point in and out. And I describe it to, to my colleagues as if these are students that watch one minute YouTube videos and get what they need and go. So that's really kind of how we have to think about that. You have to think of yourself like a YouTuber or an influencer now. Um, and then with synchronous learning, thinking about how to use small group work and reflection frames and in math, using a strategy called try it, talk it, color it, check it. So creating a structure that allows for students to practice, to practice the mathematical practices, right? Um, and allow for those opportunities for discourse or using the tag method where you tell the, the writer something you like, ask the writer a question or um, give the writer and, and give the writer a suggestion. So I think what's really helpful with those models is really providing that level of structure. And some people might say to me, and I, I've even argued with them, although that's elementary thinking. Like, no, that's not really elementary thinking at all. Think a lot about what high schools are doing. Think about what we do in our virtual pre presentations. You have graphic organizers. We ask you essential questions. We put you in breakout rooms. Um, we find way, we give you a structure for you to analyze a situation. And so that's, those are ideas that we've talked about. And then I've shared videos on Paul Anderson because really thinking about teaching science can be daunting, right? Because that is a very hands-on um, content area. And what do you do, especially when equity is a question for resources? Right. Um, people are saying, use what you have in your houses, but what, could, what I have in my house could be different than what's in a student's house. Mm -hmm. Right. There's so much to unpack from what you just shared, Steve, because you know, you've know you touched upon the importance of that social construction of knowledge still and how we have to be able to make that happen. They still have to be able to feel like experts and near peer mentors. And how do we make all of that you know, possible? And then that piece of that equity, which is so important and all encompassing, the equity piece is the piece that I that I probably stay up latest at night pondering and, and worrying about. We're doing a great job, but I, I do want to make sure we reach learners where they need us to be reaching them. I, I agree 100%. And maybe, maybe right now, while we're trying to address it, there's also so many other areas too that I feel like we can only grow more in this equity. Like that, that's kind of what this, if COVID did anything, it really exposed the inequity and the, the gaps and weaknesses. And some people might complain about that and be upset by that. But at this point, it's really like a great starting point. This is what we noticed. How can we be better? And it's a common experience that everyone now truly understands as opposed to this abstract thinking. I think that brings up a great point too, because again, lessons learned from COVID. Um, this, is, this, is what, this is what's been exposed. So let's just say COVID's gone. What do we do now? Do we just go back to pretending those things didn't exist? Do we go back to pretending that they weren't there? Or are we going to actually change our system to actually maybe start doing differentiation correctly, thoroughly, well, as opposed to just like a piecemeal approach? And that's where you know? our leaders really need to come into play now too, right? It's now time to rip that ACE bandage off and have these hard conversations. But mm -hmm. the thing is with teachers, we take things so personal, right? Any feedback, any criticism, and this really has to be the point of no judgment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This has to be like, hey, we, we recognize this. It's, it's an area we need to grow in. No one's in trouble. No one is, is being um, evaluated based on those ideas right now where you're at. It's about where we need to go with this. 
Well, and you folks have really done a great job of underscoring that. Um, I think in your own webinar offerings, Jan was talking to me about the pieces that were specifically meant for leaders. And I loved that you had that strand because imagine trying to be a leader of leaders. I mean, we all are, so we get it. But I mean, for some of us listening, you know, I think it's important that we consider that perspective, the fear of that, you know, high wire act for people who are working at that level, responsible for decisions. And yes, I'm sure employing a shared leadership model or we're hoping that they do, but there is a lot at stake for some of these decisions. And you're right, it's that same ability to be able to fail forward for those leaders. But I love that you have emphasized that strand for leaders in New Hampshire. So you make sure that your leaders have what they need to because it's difficult to put yourself out there to be vulnerable, to admit what you don't know. You need somebody to be coaching you in that instance. And I like that your offerings have done that really well. Yeah, links to me that, that I was excited by, you know, that you had shared with your other leaders because I, I was excited to avail myself of it. Thanks. Oh, no. And to piggyback on that, too, we feel as an organization, it's extremely important to start making partnerships with other organizations in the state. And one partnership that we've really worked with right now is the Association of Principals in New Hampshire. And we've kind of been promoting each other's events. Right, Jan, on that piece. Um, we also have met with our commissioner of ed and our deputy commissioner of ed and talking about how can we bridge a relationship there and it's time to take all stakeholders because we all really have this common vision right but now we really need to come together and think about how can we tackle this as a group um, in order to support our our education world yeah i love that you say that too steve because i jan and i were talking about this a little bit in our last conversation on the one hand i'm seeing folks come out of their silo in a way that they never have before but on the flip side of that coin, I'm seeing folks getting really protective about some proprietary stuff that they have. And I, you know, I, I, I wonder how we can make sure that we can meet in the middle, because I think in some ways people have retreated into their camps, protected their proprietary stuff that means that they can pay the bills, which is important to us all. But on the other hand, at Maine ASCD, we believe learning should be free. Right now, we're trying to figure out how do we make sure that we can give our micro-credentials away. It's the last piece anyone has to pay for, but we really believe it should be free. So what can we do to make sure that if you want to talk equity, that our teachers, our leaders have access to the same quality of information if they're in a really, you know, um, you know, a low SES kind of a school district where free and reduced lunch might be 88%. I serve in some of those, you know, as opposed to some of those more moneyed communities that have a little bit more of those resources. How do we make sure we can give the best to everyone? Yeah. Great. So where does that take us into that fifth point? How do we bring that all home? Yeah, so now we are jumping into curriculum. And this is like where I get really turned on. Like now we're starting to talk about the meat here. Um, so I, I might spit out a ton of stuff because I felt like I did that to my pre-service teachers, but there's just so much to it, right? And, and I throw out this caveat, a district picks their curriculum materials. Okay, you sometimes you get stuck with it. Sometimes you can be at the table to help lead it. But for the sake of what I'm sharing tonight, your district picked your materials. What do you do now with that? So we talk about this idea of these four real big questions. Is it vetted? Is it quality? Is it rigorous? And is it engaging, right? I feel like even if you have those first three, it makes that engaging piece just automatic. And I am also a um, math facilitator for Ed Reports. Ed Reports evaluates curriculum um, across the country and puts out a rubric for teachers to look at and see how the materials and resources break down for teachers. So last night we talked about, um, I'll use math as the example, but each subject area has three gateways. The first gateway talks about focus and coherence in math then moves on to gateway two with rigor and mathematical practices, and lastly, usability and supports. So in math, you're not able to make it to the next gateway unless you pass that previous gateway. And we talked a lot about how can you use those reports as a new teacher or as a veteran teacher and having those discussions. 
So going into a report, so say for example, you might be using everyday math. Um, depending on the version, right now it's partially meeting expectations according to Ed reports. However, you can go into that report and see exactly where the, uh, where the materials are lacking quality and rigor. And how, how awesome could it be to go back to your team and say, hey, in grade three, we're no, the Ed reports noticed that this was missing. How can we supplement that? How can we make the materials and resources better for them? So we talked a little bit about using that. And then naturally, when you talk about supplementation, you start thinking about teacher pay teacher, or you start thinking about read, write, think, or share my lesson. Now, this is where the, I love data for this point, because it's my favorite thing right now. Um, but the, the Fordham Institute just put out a report last year on um, 2019 in the fall that recognized that of those re, um, um, free of those resources, teacher, pay teacher, read, write, think, share my lesson. See, I'm so excited. I'm stumbling over my words. Um, only <clears throat> seven, seven 7% of those materials were fully aligned. 30% were mostly aligned. 50% were weakly aligned and 8% were not aligned at all as far to the standards. So then looking at multi-day units, um, they do not build coherence. In fact, 22% not at all, 36% weekly, 34 mostly and 8% completely. And then here, let's go back to that diverse learners piece. I mean, with, with how Black Lives Matter happened this summer, it's really brought that to the forefront. 86% of the resources found on there do not, um, do not offer supports for mm. diversity. So with data like that, it really forces us to have conversations about what are we using to supplement our, our curriculum. And really, yeah. go ahead. I was just gonna say, Steve, that I, it's interesting because I was just reading a report the other day that was talking about the lack of diversity in decodable books. Mm -hmm. These are the types of things that supplement our curriculum that we don't think about. And so, you know, again, I've never met a teacher that could teach an entire reading program with full fidelity and use every single resource, but these are the conversations that need to be had. And, you know, decodable books are pretty innocuous in many cases. There's a pretty limited scope in the types of words, obviously, that we're including in those. We have to make sure we're not limiting our scope in terms of the worldview that we're considering, you know, the multiple perspectives and those sorts of things. So that conversation is one that we need to be having. And I do think that this crisis has provided the opportunity to have it. So and I yeah. think you nailed it on the head because there's, there's no one size fits all curriculum, right? It all goes back to that conversation. But if you have the resources to show where the weaknesses are, it's a lot easier to be able to fit, to have the conversations about how can we fill this in. Yeah. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. So I, I know that that feels like a lot. I feel like I went really fast through that, but really a curriculum, a good curriculum also allows for collaboration on an easier level, especially in the remote world. I mean, if you're working hybrid or if you have some of your team members working remotely and some of your team members working in person, having quality materials really makes it a little easier in order to have conversations um, or even help students transition from in-person to remote. Mm, absolutely. There's so much to unpack. I think we could have an entire webinar series devoted to these five points. I'd love to think that we'd come back together, you know, maybe after the holidays and think about what are some things that we're learning. You know, there's so much, so many questions that we have, you know, what, that we're discussing here today, but it would be great to follow up and say, what are you seeing? What are you learning? Mm, that'd be awesome. And then lastly, we talk about assessment products. And teachers feel like less is more. I mean, more is more. Give me more. Take this Google form quiz. Let's see how this goes. And, and we talked about how less is really more and make it more like real world problems, more problem-based learning for them because the learning happens as they go through it. Um, in the real world, it's not like you're on your own in solving a problem. Um, in fact, we had our state testing this week. I, th this is bad, but good at the same time because you're kind of happy that they did this. 
but my remote kiddos were struggling with understanding the writing prompt for our state testing. And they texted each other. Hey, do you know what this means? Like in the real world, I would be like, Jan, I have no idea what this is telling me to do. Can you help me with your thinking? But you're still owning your own learning after that. So she, the student emails me, car, uh, CCs her friend saying, we've been texting. We don't know what this means. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's like really awesome to hear that you're collaborating, but I can't help you. But, <laughs> but right, like I just felt so bad. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like in the world like this, allowing for that collaboration um, and really having meaningful conversations around um, problem-based learning, like PBL works. I mean, they're like the gold Bible version of, of project-based learning, but you also have these up-and-comers like Inquired, um, mm -hmm. which, are, which are brand, kind of really brand new, a startup really that have, has a social studies lens through it. Um, you also have Facing History in Ourselves, which is a really good resource as far as equity is talking about and looking at different activities to do there. So I feel like, again, less is more and pro providing a variety of assessments. Don't make it a Google form all the time. Don't make it a Padlet. Sure, all yeah. Like let, you kind of don't want to uh -huh. be too, too predictable on kiddos. <clears throat> no, and I would actually take it, a, you don't want to be predictable. And I also say there's a, a great way to put actually the assessment into their hands mm -hmm. um, to have them show you. And that's where um, I, I promote the idea of a, of a like a scale, having a, a standards-based scale of, that's scaffolded in terms of both the skills and the content of what they can do. And then you say to the students, all right, here's what you have to do. Here's all the stuff we've done to get to this point. Show me what you got. Here's some ideas, but if you don't like these ideas, you don't, like, you don't want to do this test, you don't want to do this project, you don't want to do this poster, fine. What else you got? You show me, you tell me. And as long as it meets these skills criteria, the scale criteria, we're good, man. Right, and it shows that's that level of engagement that you can bring into. That's, that, that, that's, that's where the materials, the, the platforms, the programs that our teachers use, that's where you can be flexible in terms of teacher to teacher to teacher to allow that level of autonomy and teacher buy-in into those things because then they'll be able to say, well, I can use these things and use this other things. We're not just locked into one program, one way or the highway. Right. Sometimes that menu of choices is all it takes to hook those learners back in again. Just knowing that there is a way that they feel they could you know, really nicely demonstrate the learning that maybe some other teachers are not allowing them you know, to demonstrate, it's, that's powerful. Once I had a learner that I let put together just a um, playlist that spoke to the themes of a book and that's how I hooked that learner in for every future assignment, just because I was willing to see his ability, his strength. He gave me a shot because I saw him, you know? It was like, oh, I don't wanna be part of any of that. I don't wanna write that essay. I don't want to whatever, but if I could put together a playlist, oh yeah, I'm all about it. And even thinking about like teachers throw like I, in my coaching, I had one teacher come up to me and say, I'm not ready to, to do that. Or what, when I get there, I don't think I'll be ready. I think it was a conversation, a conversation. I think I might just skip it. I said, no, you don't skip it. I say, that's where you get support. That's where you get me and we do it together. It's not whether you're ready or not. It's ready if the kid, it's if the kids are ready. Yeah. That really is the question. Absolutely. I love that that's where you get support. I mean, the support really is, that's the magic sometimes, right? For teachers, for students, for families, it's that support. And I think that that note brings us full circle back to where we began, just the su support that allows the rest to kind of be built. That's the cornerstone. Mm -hmm. I'm excited by this conversation. I can't oh, wait wonderful. to go from here. Yeah, mm. this is brilliant, I think. It's been a good time. Yeah, looking at the time of the recording too, I thought, gee, we might have to break this out over two kind of part one and part two webinar here. I mean, podcast here with NHASCD. This has been great. This has been yeah. really great. No, it's been yeah. wicked fun. So yeah, Jan, St uh, Jan, Steve, thank you so very much for taking some time. And as you start launching your own thing, uh, you know, good luck. We're with you. Thank you. And uh, all the best. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, we can't wait. Matt and I, as you can tell, Matt and I could talk until 
you know, the end of time, I think. So we're among good friends. Anytime we get together with the group in the Northeast, I think we all have that gift, that oral tradition runs strong. Yeah. Stay the Northeast <laughs> envisioning us in front of a campfire, just sitting there with our s'mores and our yeah. little hot toddies, right? Like that. <laughs> do a little. Social distance what do you mean a little? Yep. <laughs> yeah, Matt. Yeah. That's fun. We should do that. Well, I hope that we'll have you on again soon. I mean, there are so many more things we can explore, so many passions that I know that you folks have that we share. Uh, we love to say together we're better and together we're stronger at Maine ASCD. So I, I would love to circle back with you just to tap our shared wisdom again, you know, in a few months. I'm sincere when I say that. I'd love to see, you know, what you're from notes from the field, not only with your pre-service folks, you know, with your teachers, with your students. Yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, that'd be totally awesome. We can invite some teachers too to come in. And yep. have Absolutely. Absolutely. That sounds good. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I really am leaving the conversation feeling energized. Today I had shared with my husband, I said, you know, I just, I'm feeling it. It's, it's time for there to be a little bit of a break, I think, with Thanksgiving. It's, it's always time in the fall, I think. But I really was feeling it. This has been a gift to my spirit, just this conversation. I, I think it's that encouragement, that support. I'm really thankful to have had the time with you folks today. Amen to that. Thank you. It's mutual. We appreciate you guys. Thank you so um, much for what you do. We appreciate, appreciate you so much, too. We'll talk with you soon. Yep. Talk to Thank you. you. Have a good night, folks. Good night. Hi, this is Jan Yost, the Executive Director of NHASCD. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of NHASCD Spotlight. Remember to hit subscribe and please come visit us at nhascd.org.